0: Good morning, church family. How are we doing, everybody? Come on, who's excited to be in the house of God today? Great, 13 people. Praise God. Praise God. Hey, why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor? You're blessed to be sitting next to me today. Come on, give him a big old hug, big old kiss if it's appropriate. If it's not, don't do it. Trust me, it will not work out well for you. Hey, uh, my name is Devin. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, I am what we call the regional pastor of our church. And so I want to let you guys know that we are one church in multiple locations. And so you are right now sitting in the Ashland location. We also have an online campus. Come on, give it up for our online campus, our global family. But then we also have a Framingham location that just went to two services last week. Come on, can we give it up for Framingham? (laughs) Just last week. We had over 60 new people in our services just as we added a new service. It was incredible. And then we also have what we call TC, our Tri-County Bellingham location. Right now it's meeting in a movie theater uh, out in the Bellingham location. Come on, can we give it up for our TC family? We love you guys. So proud of you. Um, Hey, guys, we're starting a new series today that actually we did, and we are now doing a volume two version of it. We did this two years ago. Uh, and we're, ta- we're calling it churchianity. How many were here for the first volume of churchianity? Come on. And so really what we're going to be doing is, uh, it's, it's, you're probably not used to seeing a pastor kind of address something like this. But really we're addressing toxic Christian culture. And so I just want to let you know ahead of time, it's going to be a little spicy today. Y'all ready for that? Listen, I'm not a boring communicator. Don't be a boring listener. You guys going to holler back to me today or no? Okay, where are my Pentecostals at? That's great. Uh, Pentecostal and Latino are synonymous words. I just want to let you guys know that. Um, so, to anybody that's not Latino, you can say amen, you could say preach, you say gloria Deus, you could say I'm Deus. I don't care what you say, just say something, all right? Y'all with me today? Uh, I'm, I'm starting off funny because the message is really not funny today. Um, we're really going to uh, talk through a, a bunch of things. That honestly, Jesus had a significant challenge with uh, in his ministry was against these Pharisees. So Pharisees really represent today, and we're going to talk about this. Pharisees really represent people that know the word of God, but they are far from the heart of God. And so what we want to address is really this. And so we're going to be talking about spiritual abuse today. And uh, I want you guys to be prepared for it. You guys ready to take some notes? Uh, I, I promise you there's going to be some stuff in here that's going to be really important for you. And so what I want to do, uh, without further ado, I want to introduce you guys to a video and check out our churchianity promo. Check this out. Caught on video, the arrest of a Metro East pastor Service happened Sunday no in Mount Zion, Zion Missionary a Baptist David Church, David church. Said, while the pastor was preaching. Grow a young in this hey, I just wanted to jump on here and talk had about church, church and realize, no, the church didn't hurt, that I have been hurt it church. me was some of the people in there because they're hurting pastor of the Atlanta branch of Hillsong Mega Church is said In this story down. you'll only see here how Robert the Townsend says misconduct allegations as the Lord allied church deals with its founder's misconduct allegations specifically follows the, the rise and, and with fall the of the various time. church leaders get to work? Throw up uh, James chapter 1 verse 27. This is what the Bible says. It really talks about a pure religion. Here's what scripture would state. Uh, religion that God our Father accepts as pure. Somebody say pure. And faultless is this. So I want you to see something about this text so far. So God says that there are expressions of religion that he rejects. He says, religion that our God Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. So there are some expressions of our faith and of our spirituality that he rejects. Why? Because we should look after the orphans, widows, and their distresses to keep oneself from being polluted. Somebody say polluted. Polluted by the world. So some of our religion, some of our spirituality is not pure anymore. What is pure? It means without mixture. And so some of our spirituality or our Christian values, our Judeo-Christian value system, has been polluted by secularism. It's been polluted by by, by classism. It's been polluted by modernism nowadays. And so there is a religion that is no longer pure. And what we want to address is getting back to the purity of our faith again. It's not allowing traditions of man, not allowing uh, secular rituals to come into and infiltrate the church that's what a series like this is for and so I want to start off hot really quick I want you to know and I want you to look through three different filters because listen to me everybody many people have gotten saved in churches but not every church is safe did y'all hear what I just said you guys said you're gonna you're gonna talk back to me today so many people have gotten saved in churches but not every church is safe now, I want you to know and I want you to see three different filters that you can look through a church through. Number one would be this. is There are three different types of churches. Number one would be this. You have legalistic churches. Churches that are about rules and restrictions. And when you have rules and restrictions without relationship, the only thing that is produced is rebellion. Because you have a performative culture. I remember having a conversation with a young lady. She was about 15 years old. She's in my office. And I'm just kind of ministering to her, just kind of talking about her life. Uh, her mom was kind of asking me to, to give her some counsel. And I just told her, I said, young lady, I'm so proud of you. And she responds back almost like sharply. She goes, for what? And I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. First of all, did you just manifest a demon, first of all? I was like, what in the world just happened? I go, I'm saying I'm so proud of you. And she goes, I didn't do anything. And I go, that's a problem is you think you should be somebody should be proud of you because of what you do because you have a performance oriented mentality. And that's what happens in churches that are legalistic. Is you have to perform for love, you have to perform to get affirmation and this is what a toxic trait in culture is nowadays and it's even crept into the church. Legalistic churches. Is it's all about rules and restrictions. Is people would think that just because you're a pastor, you are the voice of God and that cannot be further from the truth. Is yes, we declare the Word of God. we are orators of the Word of God, but listen to me, I'm a human just like you. Our pastors are human, just like you. is we're called to be lead servants and we're not called to be, we are not God in and of ourselves. I want you to know that ahead of time. And, and really, spiritual leadership should be an authority and a position that influences your decisions but don't determine your decisions. I want you to write that down in your notes. Spiritual leadership should influence your decisions, not determine your decisions. Why? Because you give an account for your life, not me. I don't give an account for your life. The decisions you make, the life you live, you will give an account to God for your life, not me. Which is why I should not control your decisions, but you better believe for the big decisions, spiritual leadership, uh, leadership mentors should influence your decisions, not determine them. Am I making sense, everybody? So you have legalistic churches. Here's the exact opposite extreme. You have liberal churches. Uh-oh, we're going to step on some toes today. You have the exact opposite. And so if legalism... Uh, churches communicate uh, rules and restrictions, uh, liberal churches communicate acceptance and tolerance. And let me just be clear right off the bat. The message of Jesus was not acceptance, it was repentance. He says to all of us, repent for the kingdom of God is near. He says, repent. What does that mean? It means to change your mind. In other words, there is a standard that God sets for humanity. And if we don't like that standard, it's not because God is wrong and we are right. It's because we are wrong and God is right. And we need to align with his values and his standards, not the other way around. Am I preaching good to anybody so far? So that's where you have a liberalistic kind of church. And so this is what the Bible says. is The Bible says to preach the full counsel of God. Now I'm going to get into this in the message a little bit. But here's what I think is plaguing our churches nowadays. It's not that there's so much false teaching in the church. It's that there's weak teaching in the church is that actually we're not teaching the full counsel of God because there's some things in Scripture that a lot of us don't like that's in Scripture. (laughs) Some of you guys are going to be like, this is an incredible message. You're going to be like, I am never coming back to this church again. (laughs) Um, Thomas Jefferson, third U.S. president, he basically uh, was famously known for creating his own version of the Bible. It's called the Thomas Jefferson Bible. And what he liked is he liked all the morality of Scripture. He liked the values in Scripture. But what he did not like was all the supernatural miraculous stuff. So famously what he did was he actually whited out all the miraculous things, which, by the way, our whole faith is birthed off of the miraculous. Y'all, t- y'all know what I'm talking about. And so our whole faith was birth- birthed off of the miraculous. And so he whited out all these things because he just liked the principles, but he didn't like the power. And this is what happens today is we have churches, we have communities, we have spiritual communities of faith that white out certain parts of the Bible that we're like, ah, we don't really want to address this. We don't really want to talk about this. We're not going to communicate that publicly. I believe in strategic communication. Not every environment is a safe environment. But what I do need you to know is that we are to preach the full counsel of God. Is that all scripture is God-breathed. It is useful for teaching, training, correcting, and training into righteousness. And it's to equip every, uh, every believer. That's what scripture is for. And so you have legalistic churches, you have liberal churches, but here's the heart of God is you have life-giving churches. And I want you to know, not all churches are created equal. Not all churches are safe. Because here's the big idea for the whole message. It's this. Is that God is perfect, but the church is not. God is perfect, but the church is not. And, And I don't know if you're like me, but I'm PK. I was raised a pastor's kid. I've been in church my whole life. And I have a complicated relationship with the church. I work for the church. I love the church. I give my life for the church. Come on, anybody love the church? Anybody believe it's the hope of the world? I believe it is the hope of the world. But make no mistake about it, the church is complicated. Why? Because all of us and many of us, I can certainly say for myself, many of us, we've had some of our most incredible experiences within the church, with the people within the church, within the body of Christ. But I also have equally... Some of the most painful experiences happen in a church. And you have people that are deconstructing because of things that have happened in the church. Listen to me. Some people are not in this room because of things that have happened in rooms like this. Gandhi says it like this. He goes, I love love your Christ, but I don't like your Christians because they are not like Christ at all. And oftentimes it's the people that claim to know God best that represent him the worst. Because... God is perfect, but the church is not. And that's why we want to have a conversation called churchianity. The goal of churchianity is not to produce more churchaholics where we worship, worship, and we serve the church. No, the goal is to serve Jesus, to honor Jesus, to love Jesus, and to become followers of Jesus. Can I get an amen from somebody in the house today? Come on, you can give God a little bit better praise than that, everybody. That's the goal of the church. That's the goal of the church. And so life-giving churches, hear me loud and clear. Life-giving churches have two messages. We can affirm who you are and love who you are. At the same time, the thing I love about Jesus is he loves you as you are, but he he doesn't let you stay as you are. So we can affirm people for who they are, who they could be, but we also provide accountability to people. And that's where healing comes from. That's where true life change comes from. So you can still have truth, but you add it with grace you can speak the truth, but it's seasoned with grace and salt. Is That's the kind of church that we are trying to be. And I'm not saying we've got it perfect. We are not a perfect church. You will find flaws in this church. But thank God there's no such thing as a perfect church. But there are things as dysfunctional churches. Y'all hear what I'm saying today? So you will find that there's no perfect church. But there are healthy ones. And I want to make sure that we set a standard as a church because it's not just the pastor's responsibility to minister to people. Come on, one of our goals and one of our uh, our vision really for our church is we exist to connect the disconnected. But one of our goals is that every member become a minister. You're a minister. You're a leader. You're called to do something great for God, to lay hands on the sick, to raise the dead, to touch the untouchables, to mentor people and disciple them to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. Amen, everybody. So that's what I want to do today. What what I want to talk through today, though, is that life-giving model. There's a life-giving spirit that is in our church that I want to make sure is strong and we have a strong foundation with it. And I think there is no greater text to study than the text found in John chapter 8 where Jesus highlights and really protects this woman caught in adultery. It is my custom when I preach the word of God that everybody stand to their feet to honor the reading of God's word. Let's uh, throw it up there, guys. John chapter 8, this is what the Bible says. The, religion, uh, the religious scholars and Pharisees led in a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. Now, hold up. Let's not sanitize this story. This, this, how many know it takes two to tango? I don't think I need to unpack that any further. And so you have this woman who is caught in the middle of the act of committing adultery. This woman is in sin. She is cheating on her husband or she's assisting this man to cheat on his wife. Something is happening here. So there, we, we should not sanitize the story. But we know all we know is we have labeled this woman. The only thing we have of this woman's identity is the fact that she's a woman caught in adultery. We don't know her name because that's what culture does. Is culture labels you for your sins that you committed instead of who you could be. So we know her for the woman being caught in the act of adultery. But how many know it takes two to tango? We never, we never hear about this man. Where's the man? Well, some scholars believe and some scholars would actually study and state that actually it was a religious Pharisee that was somebody that was planted so that they could, first of all, expose this woman and protect him. Y'all hear me? So these Pharisees are being selective with Scripture. Is they're saying, and they're using the Mosaic law, Deuteronomy 22, 22, which states that if somebody is caught in the act of adultery, you are to be put to death. So they're putting this woman to death and want to stone her out in a public setting, but they're protecting this man who likely was one of their own. So they stood her in plain sight in front of everybody. Teacher, this woman was caught red-handed in the act of adultery. Moses in the law gives orders to stone such persons. What do you say, Jesus? So what are these religious Pharisees doing? The religious elite are trying to expose Jesus and trap Jesus. Why? Because the Mosaic law, if he's the Messiah, he would, of course, agree with scripture. So he would either have to agree with this scripture, they're trying to trap him, or she, they, he would have to say, Jesus would have to say, uh, don't put her to death. And what would he be doing? Now, now he's not agreeing with it, or he's saying, uh, this woman, she should be bypassed, and so what? Now he would, be, he would not have compassion for her. So his reputation would be ruined. So they're trying to trap him. So go on to the next verse. It says this, they were trying to trap him into saying something incriminating so they could be, bring charges against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger in the dirt, and they kept at him, badgering him. What do you say, Jesus? What do you say? What, what should be done with this woman? Should we stone her just like the law says? Or are you going to bypass her and just have all this compassion and not agree with the word of God? They're trying to trap him. So what does he do? Jesus puts up a mirror to these religious Pharisees. He literally says, okay, the sinless one among you, go first. You throw the first stone. So what does Jesus do? They're trying to make him pass judgment on her. But what does he do? He puts up a mirror and he's judging the judges. He's saying, you... You see the plank, you see the speck in her eye, but there's a plank in yours. Genius, Jesus is genius. There's a third option, by the way. You don't have to be trapped into this corner. It is the genius of Jesus. So, throw the stone. Bending down again, he wrote some more. Hearing that they walked away one after another, beginning with the oldest, the woman was left alone. Jesus stood up, spoke to her. Woman, where are they? Does no one condemn you? No one, Master. Neither do I, said Jesus. So, go on your way. From now on, don't sin. Come on, anybody grateful for how Jesus loves us and handles us? Oh. I want to preach from this thought today. I want to preach from this thought. I see dead people. I see dead people. I know you're probably like, what in the world? I'm going to explain it. Don't worry. I see dead people. Why don't you sit down and let me pray. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do in this service. Help me to to communicate your truths. Speak to me and through me. And I pray, Lord, that we would expose the works of the enemy, protect and love people, but there will be a life-giving spirit. I pray as we study the Pharisees that I wouldn't be pharisiacal as well. The goal is not to hurt the church. The goal is to purge and get rid of some of the foolishness within it, for I love it. And I know you do. To help us to become more like Jesus, to see Jesus, to hear from heaven, and encounter the power of God. We love you, Lord. It's your son's name we pray. And everybody said? Come on, everybody said? Amen, amen. What we're going to be doing in this series for the next three weeks is we're going to be engaging in the study of ecclesiology. Why don't you guys throw that uh, definition there up? We're going to be talking about ecclesiology, which is essentially this. It's the study of the church, the study of the nature, role, and makeup of the ecclesia. Ecclesia is not just a spiritual term. It's actually a stolen term. And so the ecclesia in ancient text was really these people, these leaders that would gather outside of the city to strategize about the improvement of the city. They would launch initiatives and they would start things. They would have new ventures and things to improve the development and the welfare of the city. And that's what God is calling the church to be, by the way. So we're not a country club that just comes together, loves each other, and sings kumbayas every single Sunday. No, that's not our purpose. Our purpose is to come together to worship Jesus, to exalt him, to magnify his name, but also to go back into the world and improve it in Jesus' name. That's the purpose of the church. So it's necessary to have a proper perspective and theology of the church so that you know God's intentions for it, not just your preferences for it. Why? Because a lot of people get perpetually frustrated with how the church is because they have a foolish doctrine or theology about what the church is. Can I give you the purposes of the church? Here are going to be three primary purposes of the local church. First and foremost, to exalt Jesus. To exalt Jesus. The church does not exist simply to meet your needs. The church exists to exalt and magnify the name of the Lord. Can I get an amen from somebody in this house today? That's what the church is primarily for. One of my mentors says it like this. Devin, you make much of Jesus, and Jesus will make much of you. He'll make much of you. See, Jesus is not just our message. Jesus is also our model. He is our message and our model. He is who we preach. He is also who we serve and what we are supposed to look like, everybody. So the purpose of the church is to exalt and magnify the name of the Lord. Nicholas Copernicus uh, constructed really the heliocentric theory. This is what he said. In 1543, he basically highlighted, and it became socially accepted, that actually it's not the sun that revolves around the earth, but it's the earth that revolves around the sun. As it is with the earth, so it is with us in life. Is that actually Jesus doesn't revolve around your life, we revolve around his. We don't exist so that Jesus can serve our needs. It's the exact opposite, ladies and gentlemen. It's so that we can serve and advance his kingdom purposes, everybody. That is why we exist, to exalt Jesus. Secondly, it's to equip the saints. It's to equip the saints. I said this earlier. I'll repeat it again. We exist to preach a full council message. And so when we equip the saints, the goal is not to entertain people. It's to enlist people into the army of God. That is why you are here, is to equip you to go do what God has called you to do. And if you got breath in your lungs, there is still purpose for your life. There is a purpose that God put you on this planet for. And we are to fulfill the call of God that that is on our life. But one of the reasons you come to church is not so that you can just feel good and walk away. No, the, the goal should be you get equipped like a gas station. You get some new principles. You get some new motivations. You get some new gas and fuel to keep on moving forward so that you can go back into the workplace and not just make money but make a difference for the kingdom of God. We exist to exalt Jesus. We exist to equip the saints as well. We also exist to evangelize humanity. You are not on this planet simply to store up treasures for yourself. You are on this planet to seek and to save that which was had been lost. That is Jesus' mission. And so many of us get this confused. Uh, I have a friend who uh, played in the NFL, and he was telling me about how he got scouted and how he was recruited for the NFL. That these NFL scouts would scour the earth, essentially, go through bus stops, go through hotels, take flights all over the planet just to find elite talent to recruit them to their team. And so I literally heard this, and I'm like, first of all, this sounds a whole lot like how Jesus was with all of us, first and foremost, is that he scoured the earth. He went through death, hell, and the grave just to find us, everybody. Not only is he our our, our Savior and our Lord, but he's also our example, and he shows us that we are actually heaven's scouts. We are heaven's recruiters, supposed to be going through all the places and spaces that God has put us into, and you are not in your workplace. You are not in your job by accident. You're there on assignment. Come on, somebody talk back to me today. You are not there by accident. You are there on assignment. You have a call of God. And although you might be in your career and your career might not be your mission, it absolutely is your mission field. It absolutely is your mission field. We are called to evangelize humanity. Here's what the church does not exist for, by the way. It does not exist for entertainment. Contrary to popular belief, the goal is not that you come into the church and just consume, consume, consume and become a selfish believer. There is a season where you can come in and you can receive, you can heal, you can grow. But at some point, there is a time where you should become fully mature in your walk with Christ. This is what the Bible says. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I walked like a child. I thought like a child. But when I became a man, I put the childish things behind me. Why? Because there is a point in your life where you should mature and grow. And now it's not time to just receive. It's time to start leading. And there's a leader on the inside of you. So the goal is not to entertain people with our production, with our lights, with our smoke, with our big LED screens, and a really handsome preacher to give you some funny jokes. Why would you guys laugh at that? The goal is not to entertain people. It's to enlist people. Another purpose that we do not exist for is to exploit resources. Can I just tell you something about my church? I can't tell you about every single church, but I can tell you one thing I love about my church is we don't pressure you to give ever. We don't pass a plate around here. We're not trying to exploit you. We're not trying to use people to get money. We're trying to get money to get people. We're trying to build campuses. We're trying to build things so that we can reach as many people as possible and help them connect from their, where, they're, where they're at to their purpose. We exist to connect, come on, everybody, the disconnected. That's why we exist. It's not to entertain people. It's not to exploit your resources. Equally, it is not to expose sinners. And this is where the church has done it wrong. I think so many of us don't even need to have a story that we've seen on the Internet because we have personal friends that have been through this. Is you can always tell, a healthy church or a healthy community based on how the church handles sin. It's based on how people handle sin. Is, do, do churches expose sin or expose the sinner? Because the two are incredibly different. And this is where people have experienced spiritual abuse. Let's throw up this term there, guys. Uh, we've, we define spiritual abuse this way. Spiritual abuse is this. Spiritual abuse is when spiritual authority, throw up the text there, guys. Spiritual abuse is when spiritual authority uses their power or personality to manipulate you to their preferences and not God's purposes. This would be a great thing to either take a picture of or write it down in your notes. Spiritual abuse is when spiritual authority uses their power, personality, or position to manipulate you into their preferences, not God's purposes. Spiritual abuse occurs when what happens? When people want to use you for your services and neglect your soul. Is essentially a healthy church has this motive behind it. Are you all getting something out of so far? This connecting registry? A healthy church has this behind it, is we want more for you than from you. That's the motive of a healthy church, is we actually think that there's something on the inside of you, the imago Dei, the image of God, where God says, I see a leader, not a sinner. Y'all hear what I just said? I see a leader, not a sinner. Is there something on the inside of you that God has a calling, God has a purpose, God has a minister on the inside of you, but we have to get past the external behavior and see the internal stuff. That's what, that's what we got to do better is spiritual abuse will ask you and, and, and manipulate you into your services, your gifts, your talents at the neglect of your soul. Because the goal of spiritual authority is not to conform you to the image of us, but the image of Jesus. That is what happens when spiritual abuse occurs. And there is a no greater text, in my opinion, than a spiritually abusive relationship than the text that we read earlier. In John chapter 8, you see this Powerful text and honestly an incredibly sad text. But when I see this text, all I see, and this is why I came up with this message, all I see is dead people. I see people like this woman who is about to face death. Not only is she about to face death by stoning, but she's also dead in her sin. She has a dead life with no fruit in it. A fruitless tree right now. At the same time, you see these Pharisees who are dead wrong. They are deceived, is they have Jesus, the Messiah, right in front of them, and they don't even know it. When all the Bible points to is this is the Messiah, and they don't even recognize the Messiah when he is five feet in front of them. They are dead wrong, they are dead deceived, and they look spiritual on the outside, but they're dead whitewashed tombs on the inside. All I see is dead people in this text. And what does Jesus do? Jesus has a profession, and he is incredible at making dead things come back to life again, everybody. (laughs) This is what he does. He's a genius with this kind of stuff. But I want you to notice something. We said this earlier, but it bears repeating. Is that, first of all, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The man was no longer present. They're covering up the man, and they're trying to expose this woman. So I, te- I see two different characters that represent two different things. First of all, this woman, what is she? She represents somebody whose private sin, hear me, everybody. She represents somebody where her private sin becomes public knowledge. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but Frank, can I tell you, as a PK, I experienced this a lot. And not only do you feel shame and guilt and mistakes because of things that you've done privately, but when it's publicly exposed, it's ten times worse. I can tell you I can speak from experience where as a pastor's kid, you're expected to almost be a professional Christian when you don't even know if you are a Christian. And I remember what it was like to be exposed, and my private mistakes became public, and now I don't even have to. I don't know if you guys can handle this rawness there. Can you guys handle some of this? And now I have to not only protect myself, but I also have to protect the image of my parents. That's what happens as a PK. It's an incredibly traumatizing event sometimes. But thank God, that God, for, thank God for God's grace and thank God for leaders that don't expose you but protect you behind the scenes. So what does Jesus do? Jesus doesn't expose this woman. She, he protects her. But I also see these Pharisees. I said this before, bears repeating again. The Pharisees represent people that know the word of God. They knew the Torah. They memorized this thing. They're the religious elite. They want everybody to know how spiritual they are. I wonder if you know some people like that. Better question, I wonder if you're like that. I wonder if we're like that. Is all of us have this tendency to get spiritually prideful and become more like the Pharisees than even the woman? Is yes, we got moments and we- moments of weakness where we're just like the woman, where our sin has taken over us. Is she wrong? Of course she's wrong. She's cheating. She's, she's committing sin. She, she committed a felonous act that deserves, according to the Mosaic law, death. And so they're trying to trap Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He puts a mirror to their face and he basically says, listen, you without sin cast the first stone. Oh, I love how protective he is because he is equally affirming the text and he's affirming the mosaic law at the same time he's saying none of you are perfect none of you are perfect and so what does he do he's not easy on her sin make no mistake about it some people can read this text and be like oh he's just easy on sin he's all grace 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 no he's great grace and truth and he's addressing her sin but the first thing he does is he loves her and then he privately confronts her and this is where the church has gone wrong And this is where spiritual abuse has taken place, is people are exposed for their sin and exposed for their weakness, and we don't don't protect them, we expose them. And let me just tell you something, there is no greater pain and shame than when not only are you privately struggling, but now publicly you're being exposed. There is story after story after story over the last few years. And this is why we started this series is because pastorally, many of our pastors could give you countless stories of people that have come from previous churches and are essentially rehabbing in our church. Because people have been exposed in certain settings, manipulated in other settings because they don't care for their soul. They want their services. And I'm not saying we are perfect in any way, shape, or form. Please don't hear that. That's why I don't want to be fair cycle in my approach. We are not perfect. Connect Church is not perfect. We have our flaws as well. But I would say all of us try, should try and put in some effort to attain that we are a life-giving church where we don't confront people publicly. We protect people publicly. And we address these things privately. What is life-giving church? People that affirm but also provide accountability. It's make no mistake about it. This is what our pastor says all the time. In order to grow here, you got to go there. Meaning somebody needs to put their finger in your eye and get into your business and get into your issues and address it. We just don't do it from the pulpit because that's strategic, not foolish. So here's what I want to highlight. I want you to notice something is that if we know the character and nature of our God and we know the character and the nature of the Pharisees, what was this woman? This woman was caught in the middle of the act of adultery. If we can just piece a couple things together, I would say and go out on creative license, call creative license for now. I would say that this woman was dragged into the city square, exposed publicly. The world knows about her sin. She's about to get stoned to death. Not only that, she was caught in the middle of the act. Very likely, she's either scarcely clothed or she's completely naked. She's exposed spiritually. She's exposed personally. She's exposed physically. And if I know anything about the nature of my Jesus, I don't know about your Jesus, but my Jesus, the God I see in the Bible, I just see Jesus getting right in front of her before anybody's about to throw some rocks, takes off his garment and clothes this woman because he loves her and wants to cover her. And when everybody else is judging her, Jesus says, I understand you. When she was supposed to get stoned, what does he do? I'm going to save you. This is my Jesus. This is the God of the Bible. As he is full of grace. And he is full of truth. Come on, is there anybody grateful today that that's what Jesus does for you and for me? Is that he won't expose you? No, no, he doesn't want to expose her. His love covers her. And then in a private setting, he addresses her sin and says, go no longer and commit this life of sin anymore. So what does he do? He addresses her her behavior, but he separates her behavior from her identity. Where are my keys? I need my keys up if you want me to wrap up. I want to give you five things really quick, five things that I think the church needs to quit doing, five things the church needs to quit. And let me ask you a simple question is this, is how much freedom do you think this woman has experienced from her encounter with Jesus? So much freedom. Are you kidding me? She would feel so safe around this man. Equally, though, simultaneously, how much trauma do you think she experienced from these religious Pharisees? These men these scholars, the religious elite, who's basically saying, I want to prioritize being right and looking spiritual and conducting and, and, and providing the law to be accountable for everybody. I want, I want to be known for that, and I don't care if I hurt her in her, her, uh, her feelings. I don't care about that. That's essentially what she's saying. That would be a great preaching principle, by the way, for so many of us, is some of us are trying to win an argument when you lost the person. Is there are some things that simply you just need to be able to say, um, even though I think I'm right in this circumstance. How many know sometimes you don't need to win the argument. You want to win the person. And there are some battles that are just not worth fighting. So what does Jesus do? He still addresses her. But he simply just says, I I want to protect you. I want to cover you. I'm going to address some of these things, but I want to cover you. That's a life-giving approach. And that is what, by the way, it's not just for the pastors of Connect Church. That's for all of you. That's for your parenting style. That's for the people in your schools. If you're a teacher, come on, that's how you address people because Christians handle conflict differently. Is we don't expose the sinner. We expose the sin, but we separate their identity from their behavior. I'm preaching real good right now even if I'm not getting any responses. Five things a church must quit. The reason people are quitting the church is because they're quitting really. They're not quitting the church. They're quitting harassment. They're quitting judgment. They're quitting exploitation. No wonder people are quitting the church and deconstructing from their faith. Why? Because our methods have to change. We got to expose sin but protect the sinner. Because God sees a leader in them, not a sinner. He sees what's on the inside of you. He sees the potential. He sees the minister. He sees the leader on the inside of you. And so that's the kind of church that we are. And if we want people, come on, anybody want people to stop quitting church? Anybody love the church? Anybody believe in the church is the hope of the world? If we want people to quit quitting the church, will the church quit doing the things that made them quit in the first place? Here's what I would say. First is we need to stop making external judgments without addressing internal injuries. This woman was a was she a cheater? She was cheating. I wouldn't necessarily label her as a cheater. Was she did she cheat? Did she commit adultery? 100%. Was she wrong? 100%. Absolutely. But instead of asking, what is wrong with you? How about you ask, what happened to you? Was your dad there for you? No, your dad wasn't in your life? I mean, it makes sense. You're trying to get affirmation from another man. What, you don't have the same value system. You weren't raised as a Christian, so you don't know that that's actually wrong and that's actually sin. Well, I, make, I mean, that makes sense. I'm not excusing the behavior. I'm just saying stop making external judgments and get to know the internal wounds first. Let's ask the questions. Is what, instead of what is wrong with you, ask what happened to you. How can I understand you better? Because judgment happens in church settings where you judge the whole person without knowing the whole story. We got to make internal assessments. Is what's going on on the inside. Is Jesus actually addresses this so often? Is He cares about the heart? What does the Bible say in the Old Testament? It says, "Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. He looks at the heart. He looks at the internal side of life." And so, really, your behaviors are a result of your beliefs. And so many of us are led from pain, and as a result, we have those problems. So we need to address the internal things. Here's what, here's what I would also say: is we need to stop condemning and we need to start challenging. There's a difference. Is condemning is you're condemning the person. Challenging is you're you're, you're challenging the behavior. What does he say? I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. I love you. You're my daughter. I see the image of God on the inside of you. I created you, crafted you. You have a calling. You were designed for a destiny. You were created for a calling. You have a purpose on this planet, and you are not going with God's best in your life. And I want to challenge you. There's a better version of you out there. But he doesn't condemn her. He doesn't condemn her to hell. He doesn't say, how dare you get away from me, you vile, scum human being. No. He protects her. And he challenges her at the same time. What what do we also learn in this? Throw up the third one there, guys. We must quit caring for our image more than our mission. Oh, this is for the church. Is these Pharisees want to be seen as these spiritually elite people? Look at me all strong and mighty. I know all the Bible. I know the Torah. I have it memorized. I could repeat scriptures to you. Jesus doesn't even know the scriptures. And he claims he's the Messiah. They cared only about their image. But Jesus was on a mission. What was, it? What was his mission? To seek and to save that which was lost. Who needs a doctor? Not the healthy, but the sick. And so Jesus is prioritizing the mission. And these guys are trying to prioritize their image. They're literally saying, like, you're disobeying the law, Jesus. And God's like, are you serious? The law says to love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. But also love your neighbor as yourself. You're exposing this woman, not protecting her. My mission is to help her, not to prove a point. They prioritize their image over their mission. Here's what I'd say. Here's a fourth one, just a practical one for the whole church. Is we need to stop putting pastors on a pedestal. Is we exist to worship Jesus, not worship our pastor is you can honor the pastor, but you don't worship him. I'm a human being just like you. I got flaws. I got mistakes. I got a past, and thank God by the grace of God. Come on, I am what I am by the grace of God. Anybody that made a couple errors in their life, anybody that got some sin in their life, come on, we thank God for his grace and his mercy. You coming into this church, you got some stuff, you got some drama, you got some skeletons in your closet, let me just tell you and welcome you with open arms. This is a place that you're not going to see perfection, but you are going to see progression is you're allowed to be here. This is a place where you're allowed to not be perfect. You're allowed to not be okay. Is you can come in here and take off the mask. But not every place is a safe place. Not every church is a safe church. And to the best of our ability, our aim is to be a life-giving church that addresses your identity and the image of God on the inside of you, but also provides accountability to you in private settings because there's a better version of you out there. Here be the last one, most important one in my eyes is we we must be a church that's not afraid and not too sacred to say sorry. Is there so many people, and maybe this is in your own personal life, your relationships, uh, uh, maybe your wife, maybe maybe your husband, maybe a friend, a teacher, where there would be such reconciliation in your relationships if you just said, I'm sorry. If you just said, I was wrong. And I just look at this woman in this text. Was she wrong? Of course she was wrong. But I love this about Jesus. Is he didn't just point out that she was wrong. He showed her a way to make it right. That's our God, by the way. Is to gently restore people back to life. Come on, a church like this, this is why we exist. Is to love you back to life. And some of us think we don't got problems. Some of us don't think we got issues. And that's your issue. As you got pride. And we need to address some of that and get underneath the hood. Let me just say, as pastors, leaders, some of the staff of our church, we believe in counseling. We believe in confession. Why? Because you confess your sins to one another and you'll be healed. But if we have legalistic environments or liberal environments, when you confess something, either the sin doesn't get addressed in a liberal environment or a legalistic environment, you don't feel safe at all and you're punished instead of protected. Am I helping anybody today? We must not be too sacred to say I'm sorry. And let me just say as I close, if there's one thought that came to my mind as I was reading this text, if there's one person who experienced more church church hurt than anybody, it would have been Jesus. Jesus experienced the worst type of pain, the worst type of spiritual abuse, is the people that put him on the cross wasn't the worldly people, it was the religious ones. And Jesus didn't give up on the church even though he experienced spiritual abuse. And listen to me. Here's what I want to say. The body of Christ, the Bible says, is really the, the body of Christ, the, the collective church, the big C church. Is if you've been hurt by the church and the body of Christ has hurt you, I want you to remember one thing. I want you to remember what the body of Christ took for you. Is he took the church, he took the pain He took the shame, the guilt, the past, present, future sins that you committed, he took it on the cross. And if there's somebody that has license to give up on the church, it would be Jesus. But the goal for us is not to produce churchaholics. It's to produce disciples, followers of Jesus that look, love, and lead like him. And if you've experienced spiritual abuse or church hurt or pain or traumas from the church, I just want to say on behalf of the church, and maybe it was even from this one. I just want to tell so many people under the sound of my voice, whether you're watching online, a message a couple days from now, or you're watching in all of our campuses, I'm sorry. The church is not perfect. God is. And God doesn't need to apologize for anything, for he is perfect, but the church does. And on behalf of a church, I want to tell some of you, don't give up on her. There's not, you're not going to find a perfect one, but you can't find healthy ones. And I'm sorry on behalf of the church for the spiritual abuse that was occurred for the manipulative tactics, for hurting families. Let me just tell you, there's incredible churches out there that are doing God's will and God's commission. Don't believe all the tabloids that every church is bad, all mega churches are bad. No, don't let one church or a couple churches ruin all churches for you. The church was God's plan, not man's. And the local church is the hope of the world. And I believe that I'm gonna give my life to it for the rest of my days. Is there anybody else in here? Amen. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to pray two prayers for you. The first is if you've ever experienced that kind of abuse, I want to pray a prayer of healing over you. So, Father, right now I pray the mercies of God, healing hands of Jesus, as if they literally have a hand that just touches their shoulder right now by the Spirit. I thank you, Lord, that you're literally healing people. You're renewing their strength again. I think that they're going to soar like eagles. They're going to get fresh vision, fresh dreams again. They've been, they've been stuck, and they're not thriving because they need to heal. And so, Father, I declare in Jesus' name that the rivers of God would come over them and wash them clean in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I plead the blood of Jesus over them from the top of their head to the soles of their feet that from body, mind, and spirit would get clean right now in Jesus' name. That you would literally renew them. I just see a divine reset like a computer, a reset that just took place over their body, mind, and spirit in Jesus' name. Now, for those of you under the sound of my voice that need to give your life to Christ today. And put Jesus at the front and foremost of your life to say he's not just your Lord. He's also your Savior. He is your leader. And he is the one that loves you. For those of you that need to give your life to Christ today, I believe the Spirit of God is speaking to you today. We're not asking you to join a church, although I think that's so important for your spiritual growth. We're asking you to join Jesus. If that's you, on the count of three, I want you to shoot your hand up boldly and say, that's me. One, Jesus loves you. Two, is your day for salvation. Do not wait another minute. Three, if that was you, shoot your hand up boldly and say, that's me. I need to give my life to Christ today. I'm so proud of you, brother. I'm so proud of you, my sister. We are so proud of you. I see you in the back right there. I see you in the back right there. I see your hands right back back there. Thank you so much. Is there anybody else? Come on, boldly. So proud of you. Praise God. Everybody repeat this prayer after me. Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. So today, I give my life to you. I put my trust in you and my faith in you. I will live for you all the days of my life. And I receive your love. Come on, everybody. I want you to agree with me. I receive your love. I receive your forgiveness. And I need healing. So from this day forward, I'll live for you all the days of my life. Now, Father, I pray you would seal that prayer. I plead the blood of Jesus over them. I thank you for my brothers and sisters that our best days are ahead of us in Jesus' name. That we're not going to be confronted and labeled by our sin like that woman was. Now, we're not people that are the woman caught in adultery or the man that did this or, 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 or the mistakes that we have made. We are not labeled by our mistakes. We are labeled by our Savior and our Lord. And so I thank you today, Father that you're renewing identities, you're changing minds, you're healing hearts, and you're guiding our steps. We thank you, Lord Jesus. It's your son's name that we pray. Come on, everybody said.